Tell, tell me if I've got this right. The, yeah. uh, we're talking Christ and culture, that kind of issue. Yep. And uh, the two points where it bites that we're wrestling with, tell me if I'm right, mm-hmm. is how we understand Christ and his relationship with culture in terms of how I do gospel work in a culture so that it's effective. Yeah. There's one. And second, how much do I actually do gospel work versus how much I do change the culture work? Yeah. Is there another issue? I think there's the theoretical issue that lies first that some people want to argue is that some people would want to say, if you say the church as the church isn't doing good deeds, then you're Gnostic dualists. So I think there's that theoretical issue. Are we affirming that the world is good in principle? I'd add a whole bunch of other theoretical ones as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. So there's theoretical ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, okay. but the, the, the issue where yeah. it bites for us is yep. um, how do we engage in effective gospel ministry in the context of an embodied cultural experience of people that I'm operating in. Yep. Let's run with that. Good. Yep. The second one is how much do I do gospel work given that I'm in a culture and should I be about transforming it or just saving souls for heaven? Okay. Yep. All right. I think, there's, I think I would pick there's a bunch of theoretical issues as well in terms of the kingdom. How do you define the kingdom? Yep. yep. Um, is the New Testament really focused on the world as the kingdom? No. No. But, you know, um, my kingdom is not of this world. John 18. And so you've got, uh, so there's an issue. I think there's an issue about continuity as you raised. There's a theoretical issue. Yep. There's an issue about pessimism. How much can I expect my impact to have a difference mm. in this culture? Yep. Um, there's an issue of personal responsibility in how much, how much do I contribute to the effectiveness of the work of the gospel? I think that's a big one, theoretically. But so my questions to you are, yeah. uh, and I'm then keen just to throw open because I, I think all right. it's all very helpful. Um, what, um, in terms of a weighting, how would, how would, let's take the second one, because that's the one that's doing a lot of um, discussion around the traps at the moment. How much, you've got a budget, you've got resource, you've got people resource to talk crashly, forgive me. People are real people, we love people, but they're, you know, let's think of them as a resource, financial resource, we've got time resource. How, how do you work out where to invest? You've, you've made the case that gospeling and so on is a promising. Yeah. How, do you make, how do you work out the priority for someone who is 40, 50 hours a week as the, the builder, the solicitor? The, how do you help them work out the primacy of time and all of that? With an individual person? With, go the individual start with and then we'll talk yeah. church. So I think pastorally you first give the vision like you did yesterday afternoon for the kingdom and the ownership of that and so that you deal with that motive, vision, perspective issue and so I think you've got to first work on that level and really push them hard on that Um, but then I think there's got to be a space still for, as I mentioned in the first point, some degree of uh, space for preference and diversity um, as a as an ethical issue and as a, you know, a separate thing, but I think there's got to be a place for acknowledging that we as Christians still are citizens of this world. And so, yeah. Do you think as churches now we need to help affirm some of those preferences or it's not our business? That is, you know, we, we, yep. want, to, we want to celebrate and make a hero of the person who's reaching their non-Christian friend to yes. save their soul yeah, from yeah. hell. Yeah. Do, do we, how much do we give attention to affirming the preference choices... Yeah, okay. I, I think we're doing two ways. So I think we watch, a, watch a, an unspoken power play where it never gets spoken about so that there is an implicit, it never gets said, but there is an implicit perceived understanding that somehow it has no value. 
November. Yep. 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 Um, and I think there's some ways. And there was a book done out of the London the Work Institute or something where they had a Supporting Christians at Work pamphlet that just had little things like sometimes in your offering, thanking God for those who work during the week and worship him in that way. And, you know, just little, there's small ways that you can acknowledge and support people in those, in those things, making sure that the, the challenge to ministry doesn't get rhetorically out of control at your MTS conference. Um, and then the only other second way is in your ethics, is when you're preaching. You actually preach people how to do good. And so you apply that, not simply to pray more, read more, evangelise more, but you dig deep into the ethical issues of the workplace and what have you. Com- commending the gospel in what I do and so on and so forth. And living in a godly way. So it, office politics or um, doing your work with diligence because incompetence is wasteful of a community's resources or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I, I, what do you I, think? I, I, I agree with you. It, uh, and I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to throw open for others and, uh, and see if we want to pursue this a bit further. Um, what, this is me trying to wrestle with Mikey's thinking here. What, what do you think of the secular spiritual, crit- the, the critique that goes around that we're Greek and we've created this divide between secular spiritual that's not biblical, who are Hebrew and so on, Jewish. Give us your thoughts there. So I, I, I think there is, um, there is a distinction even within the holism of Hebrew and biblical Greek thought where Jesus can say that, you know, you, you don't fear the person who just kills your body, can't do any more. You fear the person who can harm your body and your soul. And so there is a hierarchy. Well, 1 Corinthians 7, there's a greater value to preaching the gospel and praying than to loving your wife. Yeah. And it's actually, it's, that's a distraction from, you know, so, so I think you can, to say all hierarchy, it's like the complementarian things, to say all hierarchy must be, you know, of a particular kind, I, I think is sloppy. So I think there is a hierarchy. That's, the spirit in the human body is more important than the toenail. And uh, the, loving your wife is more important than loving your rabbit. You know, so there's, there's an order within God's, holistic Hebraic world um, but then also there's an eschatology so Hebrews has that really strongly that there's the, the world to come which is greater and bigger and more enduring and more valuable yeah. than this world which is now passing away to, to so I don't think talk. they're Gnostic because the Gnostic thing is a timeless um, ontological two kinds of things fallen or, non-God things and God, yeah, so. or the Greek body versus spirit that's right Yeah, yeah. that's a different issue going on yeah, here it's a different and one. I think we do need to watch it don't that we that Sometimes when we want to talk primacy of a particular ministry yeah. to, to the soul for eternity, we do get that critique, and it's a sloppy critique very often. Uh, it's using categories that don't quite apply to the New Testament and the way it's operating. It's like Carson's five loves, you know, that in talking with an Arminian, you need to wrestle with this. Yeah. Different ways love gets used within the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in the same way, there's different kinds of dualism. And Christians are dualists because we believe in a creator and his creation. That's a dualism. Yeah. We're not monists, we're dualists. Yeah. There's two kinds of things in the whole... Yeah. Universe, yeah. That's, that's nice, that's helpful. Um, my, my last thought was, um, I find it interesting, this is now my reflection uh, and throw open for questions. I, I, what I find interesting is that talking about the second issue, which is how much gospel work do we do versus transforming the culture work, that is a big thing rolling around the place at the present. Um, my, what my interest, what's interesting for mine is that a lot of it's driven by sophisticated and subtle uh, inferences drawn from theological constructs rather than straight New Testament commands and exhortations. When you, when you engage with the New Testament, in my estimation, 
what you find is the 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, make it your ambition to live quiet lives, to work with your hands. It's not make it your ambition to change the culture around you. There is no command like that, but there are many commands to make disciples, many commands to work quietly and commend the gospel, uh, many commands to do good to all people, especially the house. You've got these kind of four grand commands in the New Testament. Uh, the ministry of the proclamation takes precedence. All of this is all foreground. To come up with a primacy or a balancing concern for transforming culture requires a sophisticated theological inference from a whole structure of thought that's not primary. And I think that, I think that needs to be acknowledged and you need to take great care, therefore, as you engage with these things. There would be something I'd add to some of the thoughts. But we throw open, yeah? Uh, just thinking on a, a scriptural example, t- Titus 2.7, set, uh, Titus is to set them an example by doing what is good. Uh, it just seems like there's, a, there's an example of a leader who's being told to engage, and there's like all that kind of good work language that's full of, full of that sort of language in Titus. Uh, and this is, this is not just the general people, it seems like Titus himself is to set the pace on that. And, but what do you draw, what's the conclusion you draw from that in terms of the issue of changing culture? Well, maybe not changing culture, but certainly being uh, someone who's investing into the community in a way that you want to serve the community in, in doing good. I, I've always been in churches where people have been adopting, fostering, volunteering. They may not talk about it in the church and have it in their bulletin and call it a ministry Ever since I got converted, I was struck by that, that in traditional churches that just go through a Presbyterian liturgy, the membership was just, they can't help it, that the spirit in them makes them rise up and do good. And yet they often then get accused by, as being evangelicals of the 20th century that have undermined doing good to the poor and lost sight of that in their urgency to preach the gospel. I just That has never been my experience coming in as a convert in late high school. I've always seen Christians eager to do good to all as just a, an overflow. You know, yeah. I think I think you were saying, and I can I just maybe clarify? I've certainly heard it described as that the church, as the church, is to get on with the work of ministry, preach the gospel, yeah. appoint leaders, so on. But as Christians, as Christians, to be getting on and uh, serving, and and sometimes building structures that it may not be under the direction of the eldership or whatever, but are good structures that are doing good for the wider community. Am I hearing you saying that? I think that's what I'm saying. I just, I'm just a little cautious in, in vet the language, the word invest. Um, see, I'm saying as, as a person, yeah, yeah, as an individual. Join the fire brigade and help with the volunteer fire service. Um, now, I, look, I don't, feel, I don't feel... I think this is a preference issue at that point. I don't feel that there's a, a, um, an imperative of the New Testament that I find a way to serve structurally the community around me. Um, Rather, I'm to do good, uh, which is a very broad sense, which gives a great deal of freedom. And when my neighbour's sick, I ought to take them a meal. And, you know, or to is a bit strong, but, you know, if I'm loving, I'll be looking for opportunity to care and serve. If I'm involved with a community of people in any fashion, I'll be looking for the one, you know, I'll be the one that's when something's left behind, I'll be the one to try and think to help and so on like this. But I wouldn't call that investing in the community. I'd call that responding in good and love and serving where and when I can and as I do. So I'd just be a little cautious about leaders being obliged to invest. That's the little language I'm cautious about. Is that fair? I'm... 
You've thought about these things long and hard too. Well, I, I guess I wasn't thinking invest in terms of the church's budget, but I was thinking in terms of um, if Titus is to set the example, I think uh, if there was no fire brigade uh, in our community, I'd like to think maybe myself and maybe other non-Christian friends might get together and do something like that, but it wouldn't be done as a ministry of the church, we're just done as me caring for my neighbours in a way of doing that. I think certainly that distinction is a very important one, that it's not church as church required to do this. It might, but it's not required to. That's not the gospel imperative. I think that's helpful. Yeah. I'm going to steal a question. <laughs> um, uh, what, do you deal, what do you do with the widows uh, in Acts where the apostles seem to feel a strong responsibility for their care and uh, so much so that they have to find people to replace them before they stop doing it? And then also, what do you, th- what do you make of church history, uh, and particular Calvin's Geneva, where he probably was uh, proclaiming and culture-making at the same time? Uh, well, the widows are within church. Yeah, it's not yeah, a. But I think it's not uh, a cultural mandate to care for the widows of a whole community. Yeah. And not even all the widows in church in one Timothy five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I heard Mikey say that even uh, church as a community is not responsible for. So maybe I misheard you, Mikey. There, yeah. you were saying not responsible for the wider community. For the wider community. Okay, right. sorry, I yeah. misheard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But responsible yeah. for our own. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's one of those. It's one of those things where, um, and I think Mike is expressing this. Where, where I don't think there's a New Testament obligation upon us as the church to be the welfare institution and arm for the community around us. But it's very hard if we're a community of people who are genuinely being shaped by the gospel to love, uh, to be transformed ourselves, to see beyond ourselves and the needs of others, to see a community that's say, rife with homelessness or uh, dysfunctional with family and single mums and not as Christians wanting to go, man, we've got to get in there and do something and help. I mean, there'd be something wrong with a Christian community that could see that need and not want to do something. But that's a quite and significantly important, subtle difference from we have an obligation as a church to do that. I think they're quite subtle but important distinctions. I guess just as a look at history though, Andrew, it seems as though all the ministries have come from church organised rather than from individuals forming together, Christian individuals. Well, I wouldn't, no, no, um, slavery was Wilberforce on his own, wasn't it? wasn't the church as church doing it, is that, so is that what you're saying? I think that's an exception, but um, uh, you look at Anglicare, you look at the work of RBS Hammond, but a denomination is different to a church, and I guess that's okay. an Anglican is a good example where yeah. the, a diocese or a denomination will set up a whole arm in order to do good to a community, you know, or in education we're setting up schools, you know, yeah, that, that's, that's a denomination is a larger category. I, than, I would have thought that fits yeah. into your looser definition of church though, Mikey. I, I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> I think that larger a denomination gives capacity to do things beyond. And even then, I wouldn't say they're mandated to. I don't think the Baptists have to have an Anglicare and the Presbyterians have to have an Anglicare necessarily. You know, um, it's something that they could choose to do, but aren't man- we don't, you can't criticise a FIEC for not having schools and, um, and a diaconate, external diaconate branch. It could. 
It could do it. That's right. And I think there'll be some context and situation. I think one of the important things to bear in some of this as well is the, is the contextual climate. That is to say, um, uh, you, you know, when you're, when you're doing church in the Australia, well, on the Central Coast, we don't have the problems of poverty like you experience in India or some other context like this. And so um, it's, I, think, I think we ought not feel guilty that we aren't running the soup kitchen for all the poor people because they just, they're just not there like they are in India. But in India, if we're discipling each other to be love, people of love, it would be a very great concern for me in that context that our members aren't seeking to actually find ways to care and support. So context is important. Historical context is important too. I think it's very different to, um, it's very different to minister prior to, you know, Christendom. It's different to ministering post Christendom. All of those things impact how you might apply some of the commands to love all men, um, and that's an important dynamic. I think it's important to recognise that. The American scene and its political context with a much higher Christian population and its desire to think about how it, with a larger population of Christians, can impact that culture, that's a very different discussion from the embattled church in a Muslim context and what it should be trying to do in terms of its impact of the culture. I think that's another factor that needs to be borne in mind, uh, is context. In the early church as well and in some areas, in his book on the Christendom, then you know, global South. Jenkins talks about how in some places the nation state is just a UN imagination that largely on the ground people just don't see much benefit from being part of a country. They see benefits from being Muslim or Christian or a part of a tribe. In that context, the church may be the most robust institution in an area of a, a kind of a mega city slum. And so, and perhaps I wonder whether that's the same in the early church, whether it's just the most organised structure. So in the end, it just people start coming to it. And it, it just begins to, out of love, its, you know, it's deconstructions blow out because it's the best thing going. So there could be something like that that goes on as well. in terms of context. Yeah. The church yeah, yeah, is just yeah, the totally. most stable thing happening. But Acts 6 is important because it's instructive about the apostles making sure they're not distracted from a particular work by that activity, which is wonderful and good. So you've got that. Yeah. Uh, the way I've talked to... My, I'm interested in your feedback on him. The way I've talked to my church about it is a bit like right through church history, we're, we're a bit like a, a drunken man getting on a horse and we go from one side to the other. And that the reason why we have so much emphasis now on doing good and culture engagement is because churches have been all about the gospel, which is great, I don't want to denigrate that at all, but perhaps have neglected the care of people in their care or, or in their community and people have reacted to that. And so then you've got all this emphasis on this side. And so what we've tried to do is, is say to people, no, the gospel is primary, that's what we're here for, that's what we want to do. But I've, I've tried to also give voice in my community to uh, this side of things, so the ethics, by involving our church in the tree planting day, say in our local community. And that also raises the profile of our church in the local community. It says we're here, we care, we're part of the community, but the gospel is most important. Is that... Have I mixed categories too much there? How I? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, well, first thing, um, you've likened your Baptist church to a drunken man on a horse. Church history. 
Okay, then. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I think there's... It's not wrong to do that, but I think you need to do it aware of the dangers. Um, I, I, I do... I worry a little that we present church as an as a institution, as a um, power body to the community, church. Uh, and so in that we can inadvertently, inadvertently set up a... Um, uh, there's that group infiltr- or coming into our lives and activities as a group. I worry about that. Uh, I don't think it's wrong, but there are dangers associated. You imagine if the local Muslim community... Um, as the Muslim community um, set up to do various things like this, you can see initially it's kind of, oh, that's nice, but you can see how long-term, medium-term, it would bring significant dangers. I think that is one of the reasons why this distinction between church as church and what its mission is and Christians and the ethic of love and good, I think that's why that distinction is an important one. It's not a piece of academic ivory tower. I think it really does have teeth, medium to long term for us. You can do the pragmatic of it will be effective in getting profile and so on, and it will. I think the Pentecostal world has used that particular pragmatic to enormous gain, profile-wise, but there's huge political dangers in it too, which I think they're unaware of, and we will wear the consequences at some point. You've just got to watch these things. This is kind of along those lines as well, but I've heard um, Tim Keller talk about doing good as an apologetic in a society that no longer thinks the church has a place and that if all you are is about conversions, uh, our society equates conversions as you getting money. And so if they see a church that actually is more than just about conversions, then they're more likely to listen to a church. Is, Is your answer to his suggestion so he's saying a church in the 21st century should be publicly ethically good in their society so that they'll get a hearing i I think that is one of the great dangers that we ever do it for do you know like pragmatically again you can see the the wisdom of it but theologically there's a great danger to it in that i don't do good to just get a hearing do you know I, I lo- love is not to achieve some other end. <laughs> love is because I love. And so church, if, I'm going to, if we're going to band together and do something loving, let's not try and pretend it's a bait and switch thing, you know, and let's not try and pretend there's an ulterior motive to it. Let's, let's just love and be wary of doing it because of the pragmatic. I, I, there's a real danger there, I think that you won't see in the short term. That's the problem with a lot of this stuff. Pragmatism bears its consequences over the long haul and uh, it's very hard to judge the utility of an activity, the, that kind of ethic in the short term. 